Today's topic will be a standalone message discussing the dangers of addiction and substance abuse. Now, I know that may feel like a hard left-hand turn, especially if you were here with us for our movie series, but uh, we feel this topic is so important that it is worth a Sunday Sunday morning sermon to address it. And so if you're not aware, September is National Recovery Month. And so over the course of the next month, many churches and other houses of worship in our town um, are coming together to preach messages raising awareness about addiction, substance abuse, and the gravity of deaths from specifically opioid abuse. And the reason is this, that we want to see people live, that we want to support families who are hurting. There's actually going to be a resource table in the back. I know there's a lot of tables there today. This one is in the foyer, and there's going to be some resources on there that you can take with you. So I encourage you to stop by today before you leave and see how you can be involved or how you can get help if you need it. And so with that in mind, I'd like to ask a question as we open today. How many of you in this room like board games? Can I see a show of hands? Okay. I see there's some real gamers out there today. Well, last Christmas, some friends introduced me to a game called Pandemic. Uh, Maybe you've played it. I was skeptical at first, but after playing it, I did find it to be really, really fun. Now, the basic premise of the game is this. There's four diseases that have broken out in different regions of the world, and the way you win the game is by curing the diseases before they kill you. And so as a board game, it's really quite exciting, but... As you're playing a board game, the threat really doesn't feel real. But if there was an actual outbreak in New Jersey, I would hope people would mobilize with an urgent response. And so, friends, what I want to tell you at the outset here today is that there is a pandemic happening in our culture. It's garnered news attention recently, it's taken many lives, and it has even hit very close to home. As I mentioned, I'm speaking about the current opioid epidemic in our country and in our state. Now, if you don't know, opioids can be prescription medications often referred to as painkillers, or they can be so-called street drugs like heroin. Here's some statistics. In 2017, about 475,000 young adults misused an opioid prescription for the first time. Dependence on opioid prescription pills can occur after just five days of use. And even more challenging is that over 50% of young adults who misuse prescription opioid pills got them from a friend or a family member. And prescription opioids are often a gateway to illegal drugs like heroin. In fact, in New Jersey alone, over 500,000 people are addicted to heroin. And the overdose rates are 50% higher than the national average. Now, if you follow the news, there's been some high-profile cases that have included the death of the singer Prince, who died at the age of 57 from an overdose of fentanyl. More recent is the death of Tyler Skaggs, a 27-year-old pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels. An autopsy of the pitcher revealed that his death was caused by a mixture of alcohol fentanyl, and oxycodone intoxication. In other words, abuse of opioids is taking lives, and to put that in perspective, let me mention this, 116 Americans die of opioid overdoses every day. That's about one person every 11 to 12 minutes. 
And if I break it even closer to home, in the Somerset Hills region, the area where many of us live, 26 people have died between the years of 2012 and 2018. 26 people. Now, friends, one death is too many, but, but 26, that is, that is tragic. That is devastating. And sadly, it's suburban, wealthier suburban communities that often seem more susceptible to these losses. So let me make this personal. I suspect that many of us know addicts. If you are somebody... If you know somebody with an addiction, either a friend or a family member, or you know someone who has been impacted by someone else's addiction, I want to ask you to raise your hand, right, and look around and see that you're not alone. Secondly, if you're here today, I'd like to invite you to take a moment to consider your own family or people you know. What if they were one of those 26 people who died? Because that statistic breaks my heart. Now, I've been privileged to sit on the clergy council for a group called Community in Crisis. Uh, their information is behind me here. Uh, they're a nonprofit group that focuses on substance abuse prevention and education. They're based in Bernersville. And their heart is to end opioid related deaths in our area and beyond. And so, as a pastor, I have, I have personally helped with funerals of young adults who have died of overdoses. I've listened to families who've been affected by this crisis. For parents, I got to tell you, this is heartbreaking to watch your child suffer. Because every day you're wondering if you're going to get a phone call telling you your child has died. And you wrestle with feelings of shame and isolation. In fact, I think these feelings are captured in a recent film I watched called Beautiful Boy, which is streaming on Amazon Prime. It's a movie uh, starring Steve Carell, and it's based on the memoir of the same title. Now, just a disclaimer, if you do decide to go home and watch this movie, it is rated R, uh, primarily for drug use and some profanity. Um, but from what I've heard, it really closely depicts what it's like to live through a family member's addiction. And so Carell plays a man named David Sheff, whose son, Nick, is addicted to crystal meth, now, while meth is different than opioids, the pain and consequences caused by addiction are similar. And so I want to just show you the movie trailer because I think in just a few minutes it captures what families go through. So I invite you to watch this with me. Okay, so how are you doing? I'm doing great, you know, just, um, um, just doing what needs to be done. What does oh, that mean? I'm sorry, Dad. Um, Why don't we just have lunch and talk? We can do that, right? Mm. Please. You think that you have this under control. I understand why I do things. It doesn't make me any different. You're just embarrassed because I was like, you know, I was like this amazing thing, like your special creation or something, and you don't like who I am now. Yeah, who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad. Here, this is who I am. This is not you. This is not you, Nick. What are you doing, huh? You always got to be controlling everything all the time. Let me, let me book your room no, at a hotel for no, a couple of nights. Dad. I don't want it to go like this. My son has gone missing. Nicholas Sheff, S-H-E-F-F. -F. 
There's no one by that name, sir. There are moments that I look at him, this kid that I raised, who I thought I knew inside and out, and I wonder who he is. I thought we were close. I thought we were closer than most fathers Wait, and sons. Why? I felt better than I ever had. This oh, isn't no, us. No. This is not who we Just are. Me. My son is out there somewhere, and I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how to help him. You can't. I don't feel like I have a disease. This isn't like cancer. This is my choice. I put myself here. I failed. I can't do it alone. I need to find a way to fill this black hole in me. I still have a family. I want them to be proud of me. What you have, you're gonna find it again. You're gonna get it back. Do you know how much I love you? I love you more than everything. 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 This is not who we are. I don't want to let people down. I don't know how to help my child. Can you sense the struggle they're going through? It's difficult. Friends, there is a pandemic in our midst. What do we do? How do we end it? Well, for our time today, I want to offer three biblical principles as a guideline for combating the pandemic. First, we have to shine the light. Second, we have to grab a hand. And finally, and most importantly, we have to look to the sky. Before we look at those, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I come before you today, Lord, and Father, I don't know everybody's story as they've walked in here today. I know some, uh, Lord, but I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and you would do your work, that you would minister, that you would offer comfort where comfort needs to happen, Lord, that you would offer conviction where conviction needs to happen. And Lord, ultimately, I pray that we would be a community that bears one another's burdens and seeks to bring the love of Christ not only to our church but to our community. May you come and speak today, and may my words fade and may your words come, and we ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So first, we have to shine the light. In other words, we have to confront addiction when it's happening, because addiction doesn't only affect the addict. And while we focus on opioid use today, addiction rarely begins there. Now, back when I was in high school and college, I knew a young man, his name was Josh, uh, he was in a neighboring youth group. We attended retreats together. And actually, later on, we wound up going to the same college. And I didn't know Josh incredibly well, but we were friendly, and I cared for him. But then one day, I got a phone call informing me that Josh had died by drinking himself to death. Now, addiction comes in many forms, and none of us are immune in fact, you may be sitting here today saying, well, I don't struggle with alcohol and drugs. I'm good. But we commonly see addictions in other areas of life, things like video games or binge-watching television or trips to the mall can turn us into shopaholics. Maybe it's workaholism or gambling or dabbling in pornography that can turn into an addiction. Do you fit any of those categories? 
Because when we recognize that we have a proclivity towards addiction, it helps us to have empathy for the addict as well as guarding our own hearts. But addictions need to be exposed and have light shown on them. In fact, look what Paul writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 5 of his letter. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, light and darkness are frequent metaphors in the Bible. In fact, light leads to an embrace of the good and the true and the beautiful, but darkness leads to destruction. And addiction thrives in darkness. And so he says, rather, walk in the light. Now, shining the light on addiction requires understanding what it is. And I think Dr. Ed Welch is helpful here. He defines addiction this way. He says, addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life. Did you hear that? See, addiction is bondage to the rule of something other than God. It's something that must be broken and removed from its throne, but it's not easy. Like my friend Tim Lucas gave a recent sermon where he described the progression of addiction in three words. He said, first, it begins with injury. Addictions are often born out of injury in someone's life. Well, this could be an emotional wounding from when you were young, which maybe caused you to turn to alcohol or opioids later in life. It could also be a physical injury that happens from an activity like playing sports. And in reality, that's the way a lot of young adults uh, get hooked on painkillers. And we think it's no big deal, right? It's just one pill and we'll feel better, which is fueled by a culture that tells us we should never experience pain. But injury moves to idolatry, and then it gets worse. Now, idolatry is actually the root sin in the Bible. It's the sin underneath every other sin. Idols are false gods that enslave us to their will and give us a false blessing. We think we can't live without them. And when that manifests in substance abuse, the addict is always living for the next hit. And they will lie unendingly to get it. Because all they know is they want more. And idolatry turns into identity, finally. And that's where the addiction consumes us, and it becomes us. In that movie, Beautiful Boy, Steve Carell confronts his son about his addiction, trying to shine light on it. And in the midst of the conversation you saw on the the trailer there, the son shouts back at the father, Dad, this is who I am. This is who I am. It's identity. The Apostle Paul knows this struggle all too well. In the seventh chapter of Romans, Paul gets candid about his struggle with sin. He writes this. He says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So the trouble's not the law, it's me, he says. I'm a slave to sin. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I do what I hate. Have you ever heard an addict speak that way? 
I don't want to do it, but, but, but I can't help doing it. I want to quit, but I can't. Now, as practical application, I want to offer three important points before we move to our next section. First, I'm not suggesting that all medicines are bad. In fact, if you're taking FDA-approved medication in consultation with your doctor, I'm not telling you to stop taking it. In fact, discontinuing some medications can pose a health risk. And the reality is we live in a time where God has providentially allowed us to have medicine to help us. But I am secondly saying that we have to take responsibility for our actions. And if you have prescription drugs in your house that you're not using right now, don't keep them around for a rainy day. Get rid of them. In fact, there's some resources in the back to help you with that. There's some kits if you need to dispose of those things. They'll be in the back table for resources if you want to take advantage of that. The reason for this is one of the main ways young people who are addicted to opioids get their supply is by searching through medicine cabinets, sometimes of their grandparents or parents or whoever else is involved. So don't be fooled. An addict will, will get what they want. Now third, warn people of illicit opioid use, especially your children. Talk to them. Because children should never take a pill offered to them by someone who is not a parent, a doctor, a nurse, another medical professional. The reality is some dealers peddle illicit drugs like fentanyl, which, if mixed incorrectly, can kill you immediately. And so if you're here today and you're considering addictive substances, let me offer a warning. Don't start. Because you can't get addicted if you don't start. And the descent into addiction begins very innocuously because at first you think, well, it's just one time. I'm experimenting. I want to see what it's like. But that can quickly turn into an infatuation with the substance, which can lead to enslavement. And before you know it, everyone in your circle is feeling the pain. A recent popular movie that dealt with addiction is the film A Star is Born. The main character, played by Bradley Cooper, wrestles with addiction. And the descent into addiction is captured in the lyrics of their popular theme song, The Shallows. It goes like this. Tell me something, boy. Are you trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? I'm falling. In all the good time, I find myself longing for change. And in the bad times... I fear myself. Are you trying to fill the void, or do you need more? That's the journey of an addict. And it can spiral down and down and down, because the truth is we are responsible for the things we put into our bodies, whether that's alcohol or cigarettes or prescription drugs, because these things can all be gateways to harder substances like heroin. And so if you're wrestling with an addiction today, again, I encourage you to get help. Shine a light on the problem. If you're someone here today who knows somebody who's struggling with addiction, particularly an opioid addiction, shine a light on the problem because you're not doing anyone any favors by keeping silent. Speak before it's too late because people are dying. Paul says this later in Romans 7. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God that the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And in many ways, the person who is addicted is longing to be free, but they feel miserable. It's a cycle. And Paul says the answer is Jesus Christ, the Lord of light. So shine a light on the problem. Because it will never go away unless you confront it. And only then can we talk about hope. Is there hope for the addict? Well, it begins with our second point. You have to grab a hand. Got to grab a hand. And let me say this very clearly. No one can face addiction alone. But I'm greatly concerned about some messages I hear in these clergy meetings I attend because one common theme I hear is this, that people won't talk about the pain and consequences. There is a stigma associated with shame and guilt. It's too shameful to bring it up to others in the community for fear of how we will be viewed as parents, as teenagers, as families. And that's unfortunate because people who are hurting cannot remain in isolation. You have to grab a hand and receive care from someone. In fact, as a church, we have caring ministries that would love to come alongside you if you are hurting. We would love the opportunity to direct you to counselors or organizations that can help if if that's your situation. You need help. But you can't get help if you don't ask and no one knows. Now, in the New Testament, one of the most common refrains are the one another passages. In fact, 59 times the phrase one another is mentioned as an exhortation to the church to look to the needs of others. Examples of this are Romans 15.7, which says, accept one another. Colossians 3.13, bear with and forgive one another. John 13.34, love one another. And there's many more. But specifically to our point, Paul writes this to the Galatians. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ in this context specifically refers to Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. And who is our neighbor? Not just the church, but those around us in our community. Now, some of you may be sitting here saying, well, listen, I get that. I I get I should love my neighbor, but I'm not an addictions counselor. I mean, this is out of my league. And I understand the reluctance. I mean, most of us are not addictions counselors, But you can offer to take somebody to a counselor. You can choose not to judge people and families who are struggling. Rather, you can pray for them and walk with them. It's a big burden. Let's help bear it in some way. And here's the key point that I'm I'm trying to make. It's this, that in a gospel community, there should not be a stigma. That if you understand the gospel, sin and its effects should not shock us. I mean, that's why theology is important, right? We're fallen creatures capable of all kinds of fallen actions, and as a result, the church should be the most welcoming place, the welcoming community community to sin strugglers as we help people find new life and wholeness in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling, we want you to know that you are not alone. Now, sadly, people stay in isolation, In fact, if I go back to that movie, Beautiful Boy, there's a scene where Steve Carell takes his son to a rehab clinic for the first time. He's desperate for help. And look at what they tell him. 
He needs treatment and fast. There's still a lot of drugs in his system. And worst of all, he's in denial. Um, can you help him? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of the people here are not here by choice. And they have just as much chance as anybody. Okay. <clears throat> so we have a free bed. So if you want, we can check him in for a 28-day treatment, and then we evaluate. Um, what is your success rate? On the high end, 80%. On the low end, 25%. Look, he will have daily consultations with a staff psychiatrist and physician. We have daily NA and AA meetings. He'll be monitored very closely. Thank you. And last page. Everything. Everything. Can you help him? What's your success rate? I mean, it's common questions that people ask. As the father and son part ways, they say that word everything, and that's, that's been their word through life. It means family is everything. I love you. Now, what they didn't show you in this scene is that later... Nick chooses to leave this clinic, and the same woman calls Steve Carell and tells him this. She tells him relapse is part of recovery. Relapse is part of recovery. Now, that's the term the movie uses, but I think a better way of stating it is this. Relapse is an opportunity for perseverance and unconditional love. Now, it's difficult to watch your child go through this one time but the possibility of relapse and the fact that relapse brings a stronger urge for addiction than the initial bout can be terrifying, especially to parents. So just pause for a second and imagine what it's like to be in that family's shoes. Perhaps some of you even know. Maybe you've been there. And unfortunately, Nick relapses not once, but a second time. And there's, there's a heartbreaking scene in the film that shows him calling his dad in tears, asking to come home. And Steve Carell says the hardest thing a parent can say. He, he says this. He says, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Call your sponsor. And after he hangs up the phone, he weeps. He just sobs. I want to share with you a text message I received from a parent <clears throat> who had a similar experience with their child. And I think this statement sums up the feelings of many families who walk through this. They said, most people think this could never happen to them. I was one of them. Watching your child or anyone you love go through addiction is completely heartbreaking and a helpless feeling. But going through that process brings you to the reality that you can't save them, and that is a hard nut to swallow, because you're their parents, they're your child. You're supposed to be able to love and protect them, dot, 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 right, question mark? See, as a parent, all you want to do is save your child, but you can't. They have to make a choice themselves. And so David Sheff chose to do something excruciatingly hard here. He, he refused to be an enabler. And as I watched that scene, I recalled stories I've heard, and it's a heart-wrenching thing for a parent to do. 
Yes, I know you're preventing enablement. Yes, I know it's the most helpful thing to do, but it still feels awful. And you hang up the phone wondering if you will ever speak to your child again. And in those moments, we need to encourage the addict to grab a hand of someone who can truly help, but we also need to grab the hands of our community as well. Because in our darkest moments, we need community, and we also need to remember that there is a God who knows our pain. In fact, in the book of Genesis, there's a scene with a woman named Hagar, and she's alone, out in the wilderness, isolated, and in her moment of need, an angel of the Lord comes to her and reminds her that God, listen to this, has listened to her affliction. And then she says this, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. You're a God who sees me. And throughout the scriptures, when God is described as seeing, it indicates that he cares. And so I wonder if someone here today needs to hear that God has listened to your affliction, that God sees you, that you're not invisible. And if you're walking through this painful reality, I encourage you, don't run away from God and others, run toward them. The road to recovery is not quick or easy. In fact, if the program is good, it will be a significant time commitment. But if you go through and commit, it's worth it. And during the whole process, let me encourage you with the final point. And that's this, we have to look to the sky. Look to the sky. Because shining a light and grabbing a hand are good and necessary, but they can't address the deeper spiritual component that is at the heart of everything. They can't bring the gospel hope. And so let me address two different groups here. First, if you are not an addict, but you love and know somebody who is struggling, I want to encourage you with this point. Focus on the sovereignty of God. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. See, God not only sees you, but he wants to bring you comfort. And listen, I know that's difficult to believe if you're walking through a painful situation, but again, I want to encourage you, let the Holy Spirit comfort you. And if you've lost someone you love, throw yourself in the arms of the Savior. And it may be that the comfort God brings you will allow you to bring comfort to others in pain. Now second, if you are an addict, or you're beginning down a dangerous path, there is freedom to be found in Jesus Christ. And specifically, if you're a teenager or you're a young adult here today, I want to exhort you to find your fulfillment in Jesus Christ and not in an addiction that will enslave you, especially opioids. Look to the sky because there is a high priest who is interceding for you at the right hand of God. He wants you to be free Romans 8 begins this way. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Did you hear that? That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because his finished work on the cross has shattered the shackles of sin on our behalf. And now he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to resist sin and to walk in newness of life. You've, you've been set free from the law of sin and death. Paul continues, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And listen, I gotta, I gotta be honest because here's what people miss. The law is powerless to free us from sin. The law exposes our sin and shows us where we fall short, yes, but it doesn't have the power to set us free. Only God himself can do that. But too many people think that the true way to freedom is through moral living and through self-help books and through behavior modification. But none of those things will ever truly fill that God-shaped vacuum inside of you. Because it's only when you recognize that God sent his son to meet the righteous requirements of the law that he died in your place for your sin, and now you don't have to prove yourself. Now you don't have to search for love and meaning. You have it. Now, in the movie Beautiful Boy, Nick goes down to live with his mother eventually, and he gets involved in another program far away from where he was living with his dad because the parents are divorced. And in this scene, he's speaking to his recovery group after being 14 months sober. Listen to what he says. I know now I need to find a way to fill this big black hole in me. Anyway, so I'm 14 months clean. I have a job at a rehab. It's fulfilling to help other people get sober. I have a sponsor, Spencer. Shows me how great my life can be, sober. And um, I still have a family. My mom's been amazing. My dad's been amazing, too. I want them to be proud of me. I want them to be proud of me. Now, for the addict, especially the young addict, there can be fear of letting the family down, of not feeling loved. But while Nick is doing better here, what he still needs to realize is that he has to make the choice for himself, not anyone else. But more than that, did you notice the first thing he said? He said, I need to find a way to fill that big black hole inside of me. That there was a recognition that he was missing something, that he was trying to fill it with substance abuse. And that took him to this dark place. It's a hole that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can truly fill. Now, this movie doesn't mention God in the recovery process, but we know that he is the answer. Because Jesus Christ did not die to give you a better life, he died to give you a new life where you get new desires, new affections, new purpose. Jesus died to set you free. And so the gospel writer John says this. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you want to be free today?
The hope of the gospel is resurrection. Jesus did not stay dead. See, God takes dead people and makes them alive. He is the God who restores hope, and only he can fill that big black hole inside of you. Look to the sky. Because our ultimate hope is not in a program, but in a person. Let's make it our mission to fight this pandemic. And so let me close by coming back to that game, Pandemic. The whole purpose of the game, as I mentioned at the beginning, is to fight and end a disease before it kills more people. But what I didn't mention at the beginning is that this is a cooperative game. It's not a competitive game where one person wins. No, it's not that. Everyone has to work together, and everyone chooses a role to play. I mean, you can be the dispatcher, the medic, the scientist, the researcher, the operations expert, the quarantine expert. You can be any of those roles, but the point is this. Every role is needed. And so as we're facing an opioid pandemic, let me ask you, what role will you play? Now, perhaps you can start by being a person of prayer, That is good and needed. Our community needs our prayers. It needs us to cry out to God on on their behalf, people that that are struggling. Perhaps you can get involved in an organization like Community in Crisis. Again, check out their website. Check out that table in the back. There's always needs for volunteers and help. Or maybe you're someone who simply raises awareness of the issue. Whatever it is, don't be silent. Like the game Pandemic, this will require cooperation, not competition. So shine the light, grab a hand, and look to the sky. And as we pursue those components, they become the tools to ending the pandemic. Let me pray for us. And I'll also invite the worship team to come forward for one more song before we come to the table. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, our hearts broken over the things we see happening in our midst. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the role that we would play. I pray that you would raise to our mind people in our lives, people in, in, even in our wider circles of influence that are struggling, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, that you would come, Lord, that you would set people free, that people would look to you, Lord. And Father, may we be sensitive to the movement of your spirit and the guidance as to where you would have us go and who you would have us minister to, Lord. I pray more people will be set free and come to life in you. We give this to you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.